Welcome back, MotoGP fans. We've got another edition of our podcast from the-race.com and we're covering round seven of the 2020 title chase. Incredibly, we've now had six different winners as Maverick Vinales has taken his first 2020 victory and the works Yamaha's first 2020 victory as well. The Spaniards' first win since Malaysia last year. But what a race. The second Misano MotoGP was all for the taking for the Italian, Peco Bagnaia. But he crashed just under seven laps from home. It might have been his first victory, and the same too for Pramac Ducati. They will do it another day, though. Three manufacturers were on the podium with Yamaha, Suzuki and Joan Mir brilliantly steaming through at the end of the race to take second and Paul Espargaro third for KTM. Controversially, Espargaro wasn't third on the road, but Quattararo was, only to have a three-second penalty added to his race time that dropped him to fourth after exceeding track limits. The championship after the halfway point is, listen to this, Andrea De Vizioso, one point ahead of Quattararo, one point ahead of Vinales, equal second with Quattararo. Quattararo gets the tiebreak because he has had two victories so far this year. But Juan Mir is just four points behind De Vizioso. Four riders covered by four points. You couldn't write a better script, even in Hollywood. At Toby Moody here with Simon Patterson, who is at Denkmit. And we're going to talk through the Grand Prix dell'Emilia Romagna e Riviera de Rimini. Simon, we record the day after. I want to know what in heaven's name happened to Peko Bagnaia. There is possibly the most unusual excuse I have ever heard from the Peko Bagnaia camp. To explain exactly what happened, he said he was completely in control, completely comfortable, did everything exactly as he had done it the lap before, went into the corner, same angle, same speed, everything, and the front tire just tucked. His theory, remarkably, is that he had a tear-off that someone else had dropped from their visor. It momentarily caused the front to uh, lose traction, and down he went, which isn't the first time I've heard a writer complain about similar. Um, unfortunately, there's never, ever, ever any way to back it up, to prove it one way or another. Uh, we can't see the team's data, so we don't know what the data says about what he was doing in that corner. But um, we know the end result, unfortunately, was Peko sitting in the gravel looking very, very angry with everything. What was he like after the race? Was he angry or just despairing? He was like a balloon that someone had stuck a pin in. <laughs> he was just beaten. Um, I think last weekend was such a high. This weekend felt so good. He looked so strong. And, of course, there's a factory Ducati seat up for grabs between him and Johan Zarco that uh, I'm sure, as much as he's been saying it hasn't, has been weighing on his mind. And then, you know, what can we say? 2020 struck again. How many times have we seen this happen this year now where we've had someone out front on track for a debut win and then it's all come crashing down? You know, it happened to one mayor when the red flags come out at the Styrian Grand Prix. It happened to Paul Espargaro when the red flags come out at the Austrian Grand Prix a week before. Uh, Bagnaia has been denied a podium by a mechanical problem. Franco Morbidelli has been denied a podium by a mechanical problem in the same race. 
it's just par for the course at this point. And I think also for Bagnaia, the Mugello Grand Prix is the Italian Grand Prix, but the Misano Grand Prix is the Italian Motorcycle Racers Grand Prix. That's the one that they want to win in front of their mates, whereas there's a different kind of pride if one won at Mugello. If you follow, you, I can see you nodding, but I think you get my vibe. But they all just want to do it on that Adriatic coast. Mizano, Mugello might be the race that has the national flag attached to it, but Mizano is the one that they all live down the corner from. Like literally some cases, I think uh, Nicolo Bulliga can see the track from his house. There's a whole group of riders, Bastianini, Mir, uh, not Mir, sorry, uh, Migno, obviously Rossi, Marini, all of that group live within walking distance. Uh, Davizioso, born not far away, Mon Landry as well, you know, the, uh, and of course Marco Simicelli. It, it, it is the, the, the absolute hub of, uh, of the volcano of, of, of Italian motorcycle racing speed. Um, and Ducati, you know, as you say, they were, he's lining himself up, but it'll, they know he's quick. He, he was leading by that much for that long in front of that many people. It won't have gone unnoticed. Uh, he will win again. I said it just a moment ago. It's it's just so frustrating, and we've all been there in all sorts of walks of life. You're just nearly there, and then you get it, and it's all worth it. He'll be all right. He'll be all right. So that ended up with, with Maverick Vinales. What happened there? Oh, I'm leading the race six and a half laps to go. Um, that's his first victory. That's Yamaha's first victory in the works team of, of this season. Does it prove that Yamahas are on top of their engine problems? Well, let's let that's a yes and a no. I know the answer to that question. I've deliberately thrown it to the floor. Will their engine problems bite them in the butt later this year? Was it one of those races where the the runners who normally should have been there, including Vignard, uh, including uh, uh, Marquez, but let's delete that, you know, or you know, the, the, the Miller problem, we'll touch on that in a minute, the Bagnaia problem. Uh, Vignales said he was always worried about overtaking, but he didn't need to overtake anybody at the end of the day because they left him an open goal. <laughs> so Yamaha have traditionally had... Uh, the slowest fast bike in MotoGP, if that makes sense. It's a very quick bike, but it's slow in the straights. Partly a consequence of the inline four engine. Partly this year, made much worse by the rev limits that they've had to impose because of those engine problems. So what they've got right now is a bike that's very, very, very good at going around corners and not so good at going in straight lines. What that means is they make up all the time corner speed but if you're stuck behind someone who likes to slam on the brakes, roll around the corner slowly, and then accelerate like hell on the way out, like every Ducati rider, there is just nothing a Yamaha can do to get past. They've won four races this year with three different riders. Uh, the first two races won by Quattararo, last weekend won by Morbidelli, and this weekend won by Vinales. And what all three of those wins have in common is that they were all essentially... Once Bagnaia disappeared, breakaway victories, flag to flag, never had to never had to dice with anyone, just rode the race. Jorge Lorenzo Yamaha races. That's exactly what we saw. And it just, you know, they can't win a, a scrap. There will be races later this year where they have to win scraps. 
And if they can't win everywhere, they can't challenge for a title. I'm not out for bashing anybody, but I just think it's a bit of a veneer of success at the moment that is quite thin for Yamaha. Um, you know, the, the, the strength of what we saw from Quattararo at the beginning of the year, taking that double at Jerez, we then saw him being penalised with a long lap penalty on the last lap. He didn't take it. He said that he didn't see it on his dashboard. He got given the three seconds, so he went from third to fourth. And there was that shot of him storming through the garage, out the back. Um, it is frustrating. It is frustrating. But you've, you've, you've got to try and keep your cool, no matter what your age. There's actually even worse shots that uh, French TV broadcaster Canal Plus managed to get afterwards. It's one thing to storm through your garage and have a bit of a temper and a strop and maybe kick things around in the motorhome afterwards. He then went to race control and did the same thing outside race control, which isn't a good look. It's the look of someone who's just starting to crack a little bit under pressure, I think. Um, it's, for me, quite telling that last weekend, whenever Franco Morbidelli won his first ever MotoGP race, there was no sign of Quattararo in the garage. He wasn't in the team pictures. He wasn't at the podium. He wasn't there to say well done afterwards. I think we're starting to see the pressure pile on Quattararo. He had pressure on him last year. Uh, he had pressure last year to win races, but he had underdog pressure. This year he's got front runner pressure. They're not the same thing and they don't, you know, people don't take them the same way. And, you know, it is very, very, very worth remembering he's 21 years old. He's got another 15 years of doing this to learn how to cope with the pressure. And it's maybe completely understandable that he is struggling with it this year because he is 21 years old. But it just makes me think he's not quite ready to win titles the way we thought he was. But the thing is, when you're 21 and you try and do it on your own, you are going to make a lot of mistakes. When you're 21 and you're in this mega hyper professional world that is international sport and the top of it, with millions and millions of yen and euros being poured into that garage, it's down to his manager or somebody to just take him to one side and say, mate, this is what's going to happen. You know, history does repeat itself. I'm a big believer in that, whether or not it's whatever walk of life. And particularly with young motorcycle racers, they do this, they get quick, they do. then you'll crash, then you'll have a bad weekend, and then you'll have six bad weekends on the trot. Don't worry, don't worry. You're still quick, you're still quick. You can always, you know, be almost too quick and then come down a notch. But if you're not quick enough, then, yeah, thanks, mate, you're 10th right now, go off and do something else. But he he's in that quick come back a bit box for me Absolutely. for me and yeah, yeah we've all seen it but if it's managing somebody when they take their crash helmet off that's the difficult bit it, you know that's the mansell thing that the williams guys said that's the the casey thing that that that, that levio has said it's managing them when they take the crash helmet off and that can make or break as you say so i don't know who he's got but he needs somebody, and he needs somebody quick who can who can calm him down, take him away, do something else for a couple of days, decompress, get drunk, go surfing, go cycling, whatever you need to do to just reset your brain and then come back. So I'm going to put the blame not necessarily on him, but the people or somebody around him. It is worth noting that he has someone in his box, someone in his corner who is vastly experienced at how to tame a young, wild, 
fast rider because Petronas Yamaha had team boss as well Zillenberg. He's been there, done that, got the team shirt with Jorge Lorenzo. Yeah, but that's in the work environment. You need somebody in the hire car to go cycling with, to go drinking with, to just 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 sort of almost subconsciously get in. I, I don't deny Wilco is fantastic and, as you say, what he's done with George, but it's just a kind of mate, a kind of mate to be with. You know, an Uccio, you know, we yeah. can all laugh about the helmet carrier, but look at what Uccio did with Valentino, you know. And Valentino always took home to the races. He took his best yes. mate. He he never leaves home to go to a Grand Prix. He's got his Tavulia bubble at every race, in the motorhome, in the hotel, on the long haul flight, wherever it may be. So, yeah, just need somebody to say, call it, mate. But if you say that it's been uh, broadcast on French TV, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to Azarco. Yeah. There, there is a character in the garage. Um, he's got his best mate, Tom, um, the, the, the young Dovey lookalike that you'll see hanging around with him all weekend. And Tom is very much that character for him. He is very much a show to the Valentino. Um, and I would imagine that there Tom is trying quite hard this weekend to this week to sort of chill him out a little bit. One thing that'll be good for Fabio this week is obviously uh he's from Nice and he lives in Andorra. He can't get from Mizano to Barcelona without going to both, essentially. So he will have a little bit of time at home. Um and you know, maybe the most important thing you can do is is go home, spend a bit of time with mum and dad, little brother, just chill out with the family at home and yeah, come into this weekend. A little bit fresher. And that Barcelona race is also a bit of a home race as well in a roundabout way for him. It's very much yeah. a home race for him. It's closer to, closer to home than Le Mans. Quite, quite, yes. So mm, let's see what happens with uh, with Quattararo. Um, coming back to, to Maverick, you know, that victory celebration, that complete blowout he did on the cooling down lap was maybe also a bit of a I didn't expect this but by god I'll take this during this win and 25 points I don't think he thought he was going to win that no absolutely didn't and uh that that was a very very important win we have seen Maverick this year um especially over winter put a lot of time into psychological training trying to improve himself mentally. He's worked very, very hard at it and he's been quite pleased with the results because he's quite open about talking about it. What we've seen in the last few races is for the first time this year his chin just starting to drop a little bit, starting to slip back into the old maverick ways of I don't know what's wrong, ask Yamaha what the problem is. This weekend kind of perked him up a little bit even before the race because he was feeling good and things were working again so for me the the psychological benefit of that win is far more important than the points hole that came with it totally totally all the way and on the other side of the garage for Valentino Rossi you know he had that off and that means that he's had now two non-finishes out of this first half of the season uh, I know that Juan Mir has had two non-finishes. We'll touch on him at the moment, but but Valentino, I just it, the body language said it all. Just oof, of all the places to have that happen, oh, what can, <laughs> what can one say? The, the, there was a 
not an inevitability to him crashing, but uh, we spoke to the guys on Saturday evening after qualifying, and a lot of them predicted that Sunday's race would be a race of attrition. Um, we had six days on track with the test. We had perfect grip, uh, the best grip that he'd ever rode on, according to one mirror. Everybody was at the very, very peak of their game. There was nothing separating them, and people were on the limit. People were riding at 105% just to maintain their positions. And I think, you know, there, there was always going to be a high-profile crash or two, and unfortunately, one of them was Valentino Rossi. Yeah, I was going to bring up the test later, but let's talk about it now. There was the test on Tuesday, so they'll be dizzy around Mizano, dizzy. And as I've touched on in a previous podcast, testing doesn't necessarily change the order of the grid. It just makes the grid closer together. And that's exactly what we saw. And that's exactly what you've just said, yeah. <laughs> so um, the, the good thing is that um, Rossi, there's been days when he's had a bad result and afterwards he's been miserable. And on Sunday he had a bad result and afterwards he said, you know what, this year's so crazy, I can still win the championship. I am not dropping my chin i am not letting this get to me i'm going to just going to keep going and see what happens because everybody's making mistakes everybody's super close in the points anything can happen he's 26 points behind the championship leader andrea de Vizioso. what's that a race win it's a race win and a uh, and a large espresso so yeah, yeah. <laughs> we shall uh, we shall see just before we 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 leave yamaha in this conversation let's just finish off with quateraro got penalised those three seconds, a, a long lap penalty for track limits. Yeah. We saw that he was touching the the green curb, the outside of the track, outside the white line, outside that last corner, that left-hander. That's what race control warned him about. And then he didn't heed the warning. And then he gave him a long lap penalty. Now, he says he didn't get it on his dashboard that would have been flashed up from race control. That's why he didn't take the long lap penalty. Yeah, so what he said after the race was that he he didn't see the... Uh, so the, the way the rules work, just to backtrack a little bit, you can go in the green three times, you get a warning on the dash saying you've exceeded track limits, don't do it again, and then you can do it twice more before getting the penalty. He says the warning after the first three occasions never arrived on the bike. He says he checks the dash three times a lap, that it sticks around for a while, it doesn't just flash and go, and it never appeared. Uh, and then by the time he got the the warning to say, you've been penalised, it was the last lap, he was halfway around the lap, he didn't have time to do the loop, so we got the, pen the time penalty instead. Um, it didn't make much difference, the long lap versus the time penalty would have worked out pretty much the same, it would have cost him one place, which is what we saw. Um, so I, I think that bit isn't, too controversial but going back to not getting the warning the problem is all weekend at Misano we saw repeated occasions of people having problems with their transponders bikes suddenly disappearing off the timing screens commentators having brief heart attacks because uh you know it happened to Peko Bagnaya he disappeared off the timing screen for a sector everyone thought he'd crashed cameras cut back oh no his transponder is not working and the transponders are the bit in the bike that receives the signal that sends the messages to the dash. So maybe that's something that needs to be looked at for next weekend. Ironically, it's also something that Quateraro was complaining about last weekend because 
the messages that they get can only be dispensed to the bike's transponder where there's a timing loop across the circuit. So you can only get a message at the end of every sector, which is why there was such a delay if you look back to Austria in the top guys stopping whenever the red flag went out. It's because it took that long. They had just crossed into a new sector, so it takes 30 seconds till the end of the sector before it starts flashing in their dash, red flag, red flag, red flag. It's something that Quadraro already wanted changed on safety grounds, and I would imagine it's something he's going to be very, very, very keen to see changed very soon now. I hear what the riders say about crossing the line at Austria, but there are red flags on the side of the racetrack as well, and maybe red lights there are. as well. So Yes, but the, when you're I, hanging off the side of a bike in the middle of a pack, yeah. I understand it. Yeah, I understand six it. of one, half a dozen of the other, but yeah. 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 yeah, but 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 anyway, yeah, mm, yeah. I mean, they they have. I've had experience of, of 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 riders disappearing off a timing screen and then they pop back. Yeah, but that was quite few and far between over all the two yeah. decades I th that I was commentating. I think we had it maybe four times across the three races at the weekend. Mm, that's not a good sign. That it's and not what's a good really, sign, is it? And and of course, the, I I would say. Well, if there's lots of people in the place, then they've all got 4G. Some of them have got 5G. That's not an issue because I th it's all hardwired. Yeah, exactly. So there's no yeah. the, hole the furthest, in the system. The, the furthest the signal has to tra travel wirelessly is the, what, 15 centimetres in the bottom of the bike's transponder to the surface of the track? Hmm. Strange that. Strange that. Mm, and it wasn't even very... raining for the water to get in. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> What what's your view on the whole track limit to green tarmac thing? Well, <laughs> I have I have maybe a little bit harsher view than some people in MotoGP. I come from a background in road racing, where the track limits is a stone wall. The track is the track, and as far as I'm concerned, if you go off the track, you should be penalised and penalised hard. You know, um, the reason that we've seen this come in with the green paint is because the riders wanted. It changed from grass or astroturf to green paint. And if you hit grass at 100 miles an hour on a motorbike, there's a penalty coming your way. So uh, we've made a change to make things safer, but that shouldn't be something that you can be that you can use to your advantage. I'm absolutely in agreement, Simon. You know, I come from a foundation of hill yeah. climbing, and if you're off, you're off. And the rules are the rules. This is this is war without bullets, as Neil Sporting has said in other podcasts with us. It's a multi, multi-million dollar, billion dollar industry that we're in here. And if there's any opportunity to be taken, somebody will take it, even if it is five centimetres. They wouldn't let you through scrutineering if you had a 1050 engine. It's a thousand cc formula and the fuel is this much, and you've got to do this. And what what Quattararo, or some people doing track limits, let's not pick him out, but if you use more than the track, you're using a 10-15 engine, a 10-20 engine. Oh, well, that gives you another seven horsepower. Oh, it's only another seven horsepower. Well, do you know what? The Yamahas need another seven horsepower down the straight at the moment to try and pass the Ducati. So round and round the circle goes. Um... <laughs> It's a. It's also something I've said for for some years. If some riders are not listening to race control, there's no point in fining them because you never know who pays the fine. There's no point in 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 giving them a. a just take the points away. 
give them three seconds. You know, you've got to penetrate their psyche in some way. And I know I'm being a bit hard and a bit broad, broad brush, but just imagine it as them with a bigger engine. That's the way I look at it. So it's tough. Did he receive that message? We'll never know. That's something that will maybe come out in the wash at Barcelona or in the future. But yeah, there's so much of this track limit thing. You know, I was reading reading tweets from James Hayden at the, oh, last week. James says, well, it's a track. Just use it. Just use it. You know, it's there for the taking. Just use it. Just use it. It goes on. It goes on. It goes on. It goes on. So we shall uh, we shall see where that one goes. Um, uh, Juan Mir. Uh, <laughs> isn't he incredible? I mean, he, he, he came so good so late on and disposed of passing the two riders so quickly in the shape of Quattararo and Paulo Spargaro. If only he could start a bit further up the grid. But here and now, he's fourth in the championship, four points back of the overall leader. Essentially, all four of them are leading the championship. Let's look at it that way. And this is a guy that I've touched on already in this podcast has already had two non-scores. He is your favourite for the championship, is he not? He is. Uh, This is going to be a championship that's won in consistency. Um, we've seen that from the fact that Andrea De Vizioso was leading the championship with one win and one third and a series of disastrous results in between where he's been like struggling home in eighth place. But what Mir seems to have figured out now how to do is to be consistently on the podium. He hasn't won a race yet, but he's had three podiums out of the last four races. He's taken all three podiums on the last lap. And for me, he is just, he's got all the momentum right now. More momentum than anyone else has been able to build this season. He's only going to get faster. And the, you know, the first win is at this point, just a stepping stone to bigger and better things. I'm fairly convinced. He, he obviously, he has a British crew chief, uh, Frankie Carchetti, who's been around for years and years and years, won British Superbike Championship with Leon Camier 12 years ago. I, I messaged Frankie last night just to say, well done, two strong weekends the last weekend. And the reply I got says, still work to do, but we're improving. That's an engineer's response. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely a team with momentum. And um, yeah, unless some of the rest of them really get their finger out the next few rounds, I think Mir's our champion. Okay, okay. Uh, we we get these questions all the time, don't we? Who's going to be the world champion in 2020? Well, uh, I'm going to go still for Dovi. I, I will say that Mir is the first time this season that I've looked at anyone and thought he's the champion. No one else all season has looked like a title winner until he started to put together because Dovi hasn't. I, I get your reasoning for Dovi. He's vastly experienced. We know he's super consistent, but he's still just... Mm, there's too many weekends he's not there. There's too many weekends he doesn't turn up to the party for me. And putting unemployed on your backside, on the leathers, on where his name is normally positioned, I didn't think was very clever. It. Let's put it this way. For someone who... A large part of his problem is the breakdown in relationships within his garage. To do that without telling Ducati he was going to do it has not improved things. It'll be the atmosphere that won't win him the championship. His skill 
and his ability and moreover his experience can win him the championship. But it's it's quite telling for me that the atmosphere in the garage seems to be so bad right now that it's even managed to leach across and infect Danilo Petrucci's side of the garage. Oh, who is normally the happy, go-lucky, friendly, everyone loves him character. And his side of the garage have now contracted what Dovey's side has. That's, you know, that that tells the story of a very unhappy team. They've contracted it from Ferrari. Or did they give it to Ferrari? I don't know. Dear, oh dear. What a complete totale casino. casino. You know, <laughs> it, isn't it? A complete casino, yeah. as the Italians would say. A mess. Chaos. Yeah. yeah. Hmm, yes. Hmm, yes, moving on, moving on. Uh, coming back with Suzuki, Alex Rins. I mean, you know, he's a boy. I think he's great. I think he's fantastic. And uh, you've touched on how strong Suzuki are this year. What went on with him? He just couldn't get the bike to stop all weekend and doesn't know why. Which is, um, it's quite interesting to hear that he spent all weekend saying, I don't know why the bike is doing this. Whereas his teammate on the other side of the garage said, yeah, we've got a fairly good angle on what's going on here. We, we reckon we know what we're doing. Um, Mir's theory was that Suzuki have, <laughs> ironically, contracted a Ducati illness, uh, considering what we were just talking about. Uh, Ducati have been struggling all year with that new rear tyre from Michelin. It's so grippy that they can't skid the back of the bike around to turn it into the corners. That's what was happening Mir and some, on Saturday in qualifying. Same thing, because the track grip had gone up so much, they couldn't get the rear tire to work either. But where Rins was struggling to try and find a way to solve that going into the race, Mir said, it's okay, it's fine. What we need to do is to let the tires deteriorate through the race until the grip starts to go in the rear, then we can manage it. And that's exactly what he did. You've never heard a motorcycle racer say that. Please, can I knacker <laughs> my tyre so that I can go faster? Well, no. Well, with that penalty of Quattararo's three seconds, that meant that Polis Bargaro got on the podium with third position. A lot of testing that KTM have done at Mizano over the years since the beginning of the project in MotoGP properly in 2017. <laughs> They'll take it, 16 points, thank you very much. They'll take the podium bonus and all of the above. Uh, let's let's see how they how they get on. But, you know, that's a dry podium. That's a dry third. It's a dry fourth. Um, Miguel Oliveira snapping at the heels as well. Not far away, almost almost an invisible great result for Miguel Oliveira in Mizano, in Mizano too. So they're going in the right direction in the dry. And worth, worth, worth pointing out that uh, it should have been an even better result for Iker Lacona, who was right behind him until he crashed out with two laps to go, which for me is an even more impressive ride, given you know he's 20s in his rookie season and Oliveira's already a race winner this year. Um, what we saw at the weekend, what we saw over the course of two weekends at Mizano is the KTM story for me. They're very, very fast whenever they've got a bit of experience because experience is the, still the one thing you can't buy. So what they're doing at the minute is, you know, they're going to tracks. The back-to-back -back races are sitting them. Once they get up to speed, they're competitive, but they need more time than everyone else to get up to speed. Uh, personally think it's exactly why Aprilia are struggling so much as well, but they don't have four bikes. They only have two. 
and they've got a rider who, when he's up against the wall, crashes instead of finishing the race and gathering loads of data. So, you know, we're, we're going to see this, I'm fairly sure, in Aragon, for certain, with KTM again, with two races. For sure in Valencia, a track where everyone has tested lots and that they know very, very well. They, they will continue to be competitive. They will continue to be more competitive in the second weekend. And then they'll come into next year with a mountain of experience more than they had at the start of this year and things will be even better again. Honda's Nakagami leading Honda again over the line, but for Alex Marquez, he seems to have turned a corner. Quickest in the warm-up on Sunday morning. I know it's only the warm-up on Sunday morning, but finally they might have turned a bit of a corner in more than a difficult year. What's your take on Alex? Yeah, they, they, they said they made a big step at Tuesday's test that they'd found something there that was letting him be better. Uh, he said after the race that the, the one thing that Mark has been telling him since day one is you have to boss the Honda. You can't let the bike control you. It's like riding a horse. It's like riding a, a wild stallion. You have to be the guy that's in control. Alex's problem a little bit at the start of the year was that he just didn't have the muscle mass to do that. Have a look at Mark Marquez. He is... Well, have a look at Mark Marquez and Cal Crutchlow, and they're almost unique among the MotoGP grid in that they both look like middleweight boxers. They're all top-heavy. No one else is built like that. Everyone else is skinny rakes without a huge amount of muscle mass in their upper body. That's because that's what it takes to ride the Honda, to boss it around, to get the best out of it. Alex's combination of a bit of patience, a bit of learning his trade getting to know the bike, listening to what Mark's saying and working in the gym a lot, it's slowly starting to get there. It's never going to be a, you know, wake up and suddenly win a race one day. But at the same time, you know, the guy's the reigning Moto2 world champion. He knows how to ride a motorbike. He knows how to take the advice of his crew. He knows how to get the best out of a package over the course of a season. It'll come. It's getting there and it'll continue to get there. There was a test on the Tuesday before this second Misano race, all sorts of tests with radio contact. How did that shake out? Uh, it was something that they rushed into, and as a result, it didn't work at all. Um, that's the main takeaway from it. It was done uh, as a result of those two red flags in Austria and the riders wanting better communications and risk control to them to notify them of incidents. But without any of the proper technology to do it, it ended up being trialed using the uh, the microphone broadcast packs that, that the pit lane reporters use, which come with normal earbuds, not with custom molded, perfectly fitted headphones like F1 drivers use, like I have a set for using when I'm riding about in the road. As a result, they just couldn't hear a thing. They were getting muffled messages. They couldn't hear a thing. They all ended the day with headaches because they weren't using their normal proper earplugs that they would be using to cut out the sound of the bike. Uh, then the other side of the problem is that none of them want to use proper custom-fitted earplugs because then you can't hear the bike and you have to be able to hear something of what's going on. So what Dorna need to do now is to go away, listen to the feedback from the riders, come up with a solution for proper in-ear monitors that have a little bit of sound feedback, external sound feedback, and have another go at it, which I would imagine won't happen this year. We shall see how that one shakes out. 
Mizano, MotoGP, you cannot talk about, you cannot not talk about Valentino Rossi and where he's at for 2021. We all know he's going to that Patronus Yamaha team. The negotiations have been ongoing and ongoing. You have written a very good article on the-race.com. Please, if you haven't read it, folks, do go and read what Simon's uh, read. But if I could bring up one point, Simon's brought up a, a very valid point about have the negotiations been stumbling for this long because it might be over Valentino's choice of what he does when he stops. Does he take the team over and does that leave Patronus with nobody to dance with? And will Patronus go Suzuki for their second team? Is that, do you think, because you've written it, silly question. <laughs> but that's your that's your take at the moment, and it's a very valid one in my eyes. That's the feedback that I'm getting, believe it or not, not from the Valentino Rossi camp, but from the Patronas camp. Quite. They are very much still feeling like they are a customer of Yamaha, not a partner of Yamaha. They are looking at what, especially what previous Yamaha satellite team Tech 3 are now doing at KTM where they start the season on the same bikes as the factories. They get all the development parts and they're winning races on a bike that last year you couldn't have paid most people to ride. They want that. They want that relationship. They don't see that relationship forthcoming at Yamaha, but they do see it coming at Suzuki. And that, to me, might just be enough to tip the balance. Also worth noting that Patronus aren't just putting money into the sport. They want to take some R&D out of the sport again. There was a, a, lot, of, a lot of talk last year about uh, you know when they launched onto the customer market, the new gearbox and engine oils that they've developed to put into the MotoGP bike. You can go out and buy those now in Malaysia. From what I understand, that R&D process has just been curtailed a little bit. And they're not very happy about it. So all in all, they're just not where they want to be in terms of the relationship with their factory. Also, Patronus are very strong on pushing youth and young people and young engineers to go forward. They not only do that with their MotoGP technical input, but also with Patronus in, in Formula One and there's some, some young engineers who have got some very, very responsible jobs. So that's a big push as well. The other thing that will give, should give Yamaha the hurry up is that not only have we had a satellite team victorious this year with Tech 3, but we darn well nearly had one in Mizano 2 with Pramac. Yeah. So, you know, now it's changed. And we saw it at, at Monza Formula One with uh, Alpha Tauri, you know. A, a, a junior team, a, a satellite team, it, the rules have changed. They can win now, but you've got to put that major part in it, which is you've got to integrate properly with the factory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at look at Avintia Ducati. Last year, they were you know one of the joke teams in the grid. Ducati pumped a load of money in. They signed a good rider in the ship, Ioan Zarco. And what does he do in the third race? Oh, podium. Pole position and podium. That, for me, is the biggest proof of what a bit of factory investment and a team can do. Mm. And it's great for Dorna because they don't they don't care what bits of metal are in the bike. They want the entertainment and look at what 2020 has given us. <laughs> <laughs> the the, the long-term goal for Dorna, and I have this on the record from multiple people, is they want a grid of 24 motorbikes, six factories, six satellites, 
and each satellite and factory having four identical machines. That's the target. We're almost there. We're getting there very quickly because we've now got two teams who have done exactly that with Pramac and Tech3 and Ducati and KTM. Uh, Yamaha, obviously Petronas are pushing for it. Suzuki have said that they'll bring a satellite team in 2022 and it'll be an equal machinery. Aprilia are dropping loads of hints about satellite bikes and it would be silly to not do it. So we're, we're very quickly getting there and it's going to be up to, uh, it looks like, the two old Japanese factories to step up. It's up to Honda and up to Yamaha to, to do what everyone else is doing now. I think the target for Dorna short term is to make sure that on the last lap of the last Grand Prix of 2020, which will take place in Portugal, that the roof is off my house, the roof is off the press office, and the roof is off all the grandstands of the spectators watching trackside, and the roof is off everybody else's house who is watching all around the world, because I really do think that this championship will be between three people going into the last race and the last lap and the last corner. That is how MotoGP 2020 will probably be decided. And the way things are going right now, I fully expect to see the three of them battling to score 15th place in the one point they need while Tito Rabat and Alex Marquez fights for the race win. That's where we are. That's exactly where we are. And we're only halfway. So it's we yeah. could do it all again. <laughs> we could do it all again. Thank you so yeah. much for joining myself, Toby Moody and Simon Patterson with this podcast. Uh, do like and subscribe. Click those buttons wherever you subscribe to your podcasts and well even better we've got more MotoGP coming up this weekend this time from Barcelona at the circuit Montmelo thank you for joining us we'll speak to you all very soon mm -hmm.